So I'm sure a lot of women in the house would agree with me when I say that I have man eyes. And when I say man eyes, I don't mean like big, beautiful eyes, although maybe true, I don't know. But, <laughs> but what I mean by man eyes is Maddie will go tell me to look for something. He told me to go get ketchup out of the fridge and I'll open the fridge door and I'll be like, Maddie, we're all out of ketchup. We don't have any. And I'll close the door. She says, she says yes, Justin, we do. I just saw it this morning. We have ketchup now. So I'll open it again. Nope, we don't have any. I can go to Walmart if you need me to. I close the door. And she goes, Justin, I saw it. Look again. Maybe move something. And I said, okay. I'm not going to move anything. Open up again. I look. Still can't find it. And she says, Justin, if I come and find it within five seconds, you're cooking dinner, which nobody wants. And, and so she goes over there. She opens it, moves one thing. Boom, she's got it. She's got the ketchup. And that's, that's how I am. Like, I can't find things. When it comes to... You know, like looking in the purse. When Maddie's like, hey, can you go get my keys out of the purse? I open it up, and it's just like digging and digging and digging, and I can't find anything. It's like, here, you do it because I can't find anything. Wives in the room, if your husbands are like this, you know how painful it is, <laughs> how frustrating it can be. But hear me out. When it comes to what we see, we only see what we're truly looking for. And what I mean by that is if I'm truly focused, right, on what I'm supposed to be trying to find, I'm going to find it. And this is how God is. God has his eyes set on lost people. God has his mind set on lost people 24-7. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what other people have done. It doesn't matter who we are or where we come from. God is not about politics. He's not about male versus female. He's not about rich versus poor. He is about people. And his eyes are set on lost people. He wants people to come into a relationship with him. And when I say lost, I don't mean bad at directions. I mean hell-bound Lost people, not living the right life, souls not connected to God, no relationship with God, that's who God wants. And as we talk about this whole subject of mercy, it can be a difficult subject because there are lost people, right, who have hurt us, who have caused us pain, who have caused us frustration. But before we dig into what God has for us in the book of Jonah, we need to know that God's love for us is rooted and anchored deep. And we see this come true in John 3.16, one of those famous verses in all of the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world. What is the world? All of us who are sinful, right? Evil, wicked people in our past. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. Whoever believes in him will never die, but will have eternal life. God is a God who loves lost people. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, how do you see people? Do you see people as God's people? Or do you see the people who have wronged you as just evil, sinful, and not worth your time? But how do you see God's people? Because if we want to take this subject of mercy, and if we want to practically apply it to our lives and allow it to truly change our hearts, then we need to change the way that we see people. We need to change the way that we interact with people. And so we're in the book of Jonah right now. This is the last week of our series talking about mercy, going through the entire book. We've gone through three chapters, 
this morning we're going to hit the fourth chapter. And if you've missed this whole series, or maybe you're not familiar with the whole story of Jonah, we all know Jonah as the guy who is trapped in the belly of a whale, right? From Sunday school, we remember there's children's songs about it, there's books about it. It's a fun little kid story. But here's the background on Jonah. There's a reason why he was in the belly of a whale for three days. He was a prophet, and God told Jonah, go to this city called Nineveh. And Nineveh is incredibly full of wicked and sinful people. People that you don't want to hang around with. It, it, in our context, it might be something like Las Vegas, right? There's some good stuff in Las Vegas, but most of us know it by its nickname, Sin City, right? We know Las Vegas isn't a place where like, a lot of good things happen, and that's Nineveh during Jonah's time period. And so God commands Jonah, he says, go to this city, tell them that if they do not repent of their sins and follow me and turn to me, then I'm going to just wipe out the whole city. And we've seen this come true before with Sodom and Gomorrah. Wicked people, wicked cities who have walked from God, for, far from God for so long, and God just decides to extend his wrath. And so God sends Jonah. He says, you know, show them this message, tell them this message, and if they repent, I will give them mercy. If not, I'll wipe them off the map. But Jonah, in his heart, he hates the Ninevites. And we don't know if this is racism, we don't know if this is nationalism, like I'm an Israelite, you're a Ninevite, whatever, or we don't know if this is just their wicked people don't want to be around them. And so Jonah flees. Jonah flees, he tries to go to the city called Tarshish, and he's on this boat, he's sailing that way, and it's the opposite way of the town of Nineveh. And when God sees that Jonah is running, God sends a storm. And long story short, Jonah ends up in the belly of a whale for three days, the famous kid story we all know. But in the belly of a whale, Jonah has this sort of coming to Jesus moment. He has this realization that God is after me. And if I don't be obedient to God, I might never make it out of this whale. And so he decides, okay, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Nineveh, cause this whale to throw up. <laughs> and it did. The whale threw up, spit out Jonah. Jonah washes up the shore of Nineveh. He goes into the city and he preaches the message that God gave him. In short, he said, turn from your sins or God will wipe you out. And Jonah hates the Ninevites so much that he doesn't even wait for a response. He just leaves. He just goes out, and the Bible says, we'll get there in a minute, but the Bible says he just goes out east of the city. He sits up on top of a hill, and he just watches to see if God is going to send hellfire down on the city of Nineveh. And what happens is what we'll read in, in Jonah chapter 3, the very last verse of chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So Nineveh repents. They turn from their sins. And what should be this joyful, amazing, oh my goodness, they came to God, they're saved, this is amazing, these evil, wicked people are now saved. What should be joyful, what should be amazing, what should be happy, it turns out to be a little bit depressing. Because in starting in chapter 4, it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, he said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you are slow to anger, that you abound in love, and you are a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than it is to live. 
And immediately we're thinking, whoa, 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 back up. People just got said Jonah is ticked. It's because he doesn't see people the way that God sees people. Jonah cannot see past the evilness, the wickedness of the Ninevite people's past. He's identified them as sinners. He's condemned them as sinners. And in his own, in his own heart, they're done for. And he's ticked because God decides to show people that he hates mercy. And so I think it begs the question for us this morning, and Pastor Bill asked it a few weeks ago, but who are we having a difficult time extending mercy to? You know, I think for most of us, if we really think about it, we don't really want people that we hate to die. Like, there's people in my life, and I would consider myself 90% a people person. I love people, but there's some people <laughs> where it's just like, a little bit more difficult. They've like, maybe they've hurt me in the past. Maybe there's, you know, politicians I don't agree with, whatever it might be. Like there's some people, right, that I just don't agree with. And that's difficult. But this whole series has been convicting for me because I see God's love. As we read Jonah, I see God's love and his faithfulness and his mercy, and he extends it to the people of Nineveh. And yet there are people in my life that I find it difficult to give mercy to. God is the God of the universe, and he's able to show mercy to lowly sinners. Who am I to not show mercy to somebody else? And so this is something that I've been working through. In fact, two years ago, and yes, this is still two years ago. I'm still kind of working through this, but we were on our way up to a family vacation up north. We are going up to, I think it was Lake Vermilion that year, and we stopped at the Coborns in Mora to meet the rest of the family, and so it's Maddie and I and a few aunts and uncles of Maddie's, and we're waiting for a few more cars to meet us there, and we're all going to drive up together. And as we're standing outside of my car, we're talking, just chit-chatting about life. This guy just drives through the parking lot and straight into the side of my car. And I'm thinking, how? I'm in the back of the parking lot. Nobody besides me and Maddie's aunt's car right there. Drives wide open parking lot straight into the... It's like, what in the... Were you not... Were your eyes closed? I don't know. <laughs> like, what were you doing? And he takes off. Doesn't even stop. Just guns in. He's got a big muffler on his truck, and so you could just hear go, he's taking it. Like, I'm like, all right, this dude's long gone. And Maddie's aunt, hands waving up in the air, stop, stop. And like, I think he felt the wrath of, you know, mama bear coming or something. The guy slams on his brakes, parks his truck, get, but he gets out. He says, sorry, man, I don't really know what happened. I'm like, I don't either. What were you doing? But he gets out. I give him my insurance info. We start talking, and he's like, well, hey, man, I just switched insurance companies. I don't have my insurance card on me, but if you call me on Monday, we can exchange info then. And so I was like, sure. So I took his name, took his number. The cop was there. He helped us do all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt that he's got insurance. I call him on Monday. His phone's disconnected. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I got back from vacation. I took my car into the shop, $2,000 to fix the front end. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is an old car. It wasn't worth paying $2,000 to fix a little bit on the front. Like, it's just not worth it. And, you know, I'm not going to put that money out. And what I did is I just took a couple screws and I screwed the bumper back together. It was good. I'm a mechanic. And body, you know, <laughs> I don't know anything about cars. But I call this guy and his phone's disconnected. And so 
I tried calling him a few more times. I was like, maybe it's a phone issue. I don't know. So I called him a few more times. No, no luck. And so I find him on Facebook. And yeah, I do what anybody would do, right? I found him on Facebook. And he posted a screenshot of a conversation between him and his wife. Like it was a funny conversation that they had. And his wife's number was right under her name. And so I took her number. <laughs> like, and I called her. And I called her probably 15 times over the next 24 hours. No answer. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. So I went to the Connecticut County Sheriff's Office. I got a police report. And I opened it up. And this guy has multiple reckless driving charges, no valid license, no insurance. He's had, it was over eight tickets in like the last few years. I was like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm getting anything for my bumper. <laughs> and so what I did was his address was on there. And so I, this is stupid to do. I drove out to his house. I knocked on the door. And I had a letter in my hand saying, I'm going to sue you if you don't start talking to me. And full disclosure, that's not how I roll. I was, it was a scare tactic. I don't really, you know, I'm not going to sue anybody over it. I was just trying to get him to at least say hi to me. Uh, but he doesn't answer the door, so I leave him the note. I said he had 24 hours, otherwise I'm taking legal action. Never heard from him. I never took legal action. Again, that's not really how I roll. But I, I wanted to at least talk to this guy. And for two years... I've still, I, I mean, I haven't heard a word, and I won't ever. I know it. And it was something that, you know, I've really had to work through. Because I'm not somebody, like, you can, like, you can do bad things to me. I'm not really going to take it that personal. It's not going to be a big deal. But, man, this is a $2,000 damage. Like, this is a big deal to me. And I'm frustrated that this guy just doesn't even say hi. And for a long time, I was just hoarding all this anger, all this bitterness, all this rage towards this guy. Like, this guy's terrible. But I put it in perspective of, you know what, who am I as a Christ follower? What's my mission here on earth? My mission is to follow Jesus. My mission is the great commandment, which Jesus gave us, to go and make disciples of all nations. How much of a hypocrite would I be if I say, I am a Christ follower, I am a pastor, but I've got this guy kind of on the side that I can't stand, that I'm ticked at, that every single day, anytime his name gets brought up in conversation, it's like, oh, this guy. How much of a hypocrite do I have to be? Jesus gave us mercy on the cross. And as followers of him, we are called to extend mercy. And it's not easy. It's difficult. It's not supposed to be easy. And sure, there are some times where it's like mercy is very easy. But for some of us, there are, there are people in our lives that have hurt us, that have caused us some real pain, that have caused us some real heartbreak in our lives. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But what I just want to put out there right away is we're called to extend mercy. And it might not happen today. It might be something that you have to wrestle with with God, like I had to wrestle with with God with this guy. But God calls us to extend mercy. And so as Jonah is ticked about these people getting saved, we're seeing his true colors. And what we're learning about Jonah is that his inability to extend mercy isn't about the people of Nineveh. It's not about how wicked they were. His inability to, ex to extend mercy to these people is because of his own messiness in his own heart. He is too worried 
about what they've done in their past, and he hoards that in his heart. He holds bitterness and anger and rage, and it's on him that he's not able to forgive or give any mercy or any grace. And what we learn in this story, what are some huge implications for us, is that Jonah and God, they're on the same page when it comes to the Ninevites. In fact, pretty much everybody's on the same page when it comes to the Ninevites. There's no confusion on how wrong, how immoral, how evil they are. Everybody knows that these are people that you don't really mess with because they're so wicked and so sinful and so evil. God knows it, Jonah knows it, and we know it as we read this story. But like I said, God is a God who's after lost people. And I think what Jonah has become so concerned with is he's become so concerned with being right that he's forgotten how to have compassion. He's become so concerned with, you know, he knows the Bible. He knows moral, you know, like right and wrong. He knows that it's not okay to kill. Life is good. He knows the difference between right and wrong. He knows what the Bible says. He has the right theology. He has the right biblical view. He has the right moral view. There's no confusion there between him and God. But what Jonah lacks is a heart of compassion. He's forgetting that these people are still God's children. You know, I think a lot of times we walk this tension, this line of, you know, we have to hold true to what the Bible says and believe what it says, and that's absolutely true. But then there's also other people who say, well, we need to love, right? And we kind of walk this tension, do I, do I hold true to what the Bible says or do I love people? And I don't think that this is a tension that's actually real. I think that this is something that we kind of create in ourselves. Because it is possible to hold fast to what the Bible says, to believe it, to live it, to love it, and love people. Because what the Bible teaches us is what Jesus said. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in the very fact that God saves lowly sinners like you and I is the fact that God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. God doesn't walk attention between who am I going to love and who am I going to hold the truth to. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. We can love the truth. We should love the truth. And we should love people. But so many times... We focus so much on being right or winning arguments or you know, making sure that we hold fast to the truth that we forget to love people. And a prime example of this is you know, what Pastor Bill talked about a few weeks ago with the abortion argument. And that's a huge thing right now because there's a lot of governments voting on whether abortion should be you know, up to birth, whatever it should be. And you can stand up here and say, and I can stand up here and say, abortion is not biblical. It's a sin. Shouldn't do it. And I would be absolutely right. That's what the Bible teaches. Life is important. But if I'm going to stand up here and say, abortion is sin, it's terrible, it's wrong, we shouldn't do it, and anybody who believes in it, anybody who says, it's okay, you're the scum of the earth, you're terrible people, you're evil, you're wicked, away with you. That's where we cross a line into we know the truth, but we have no idea how to love people in it. I want to be very bold this morning and say that even people who have had abortions, even people who believe abortion is okay, still God's people. God cares about them. God loves them. And that goes for every sin. That goes for everything that we disagree with. God loves his people, and his sight is set on lost people. His sight is set on those who don't know him. And the Apostle Paul, he talks about this too in the book of 1 Corinthians when he says, 
that he says, if I speak in the tongue, in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have no love, then I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have no love, then I am nothing. If I have the faith that can move mountains, if I give all I possess to the poor, but I don't do any of it in love and I have no love, then I gain nothing. What we learn is that there's a truth and we should love the truth. But the truth isn't very meaningful to us if we don't know how to love people. Because the truth of the Bible is that God loves his people. And the prime example of that is Jesus on the cross, taking the wrath from God for us, giving us mercy so that we can live in freedom. We are called to live, to love people. We are called to extend mercy. And so Jonah's frustrated about this. And so, like I said, Jonah goes out, he goes east of the city, and it says, Jonah had gone out, and he sat down in a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. And the worm chewed through the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so hot that he grew faint. And he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And so what's happening as the story continues, Jonah's so ticked about what God does with the people of Nineveh that he gives them mercy. He goes out, sits on this hill, and he just waits for them to be smited. What he doesn't know is that God's already given, God gives him a plant and it grows over his head and gives him some shade. And when I read this, I'm thinking, man, we've already got a whale that ate a guy. Now a plant just like spurts up out of nowhere. Like it's getting weird. So what is the point of this plant? The point of the plant is to give Jonah a little bit of perspective in life. See, what happens when God provides this plant to Jonah is all of a sudden his mood drastically changes. He goes from ticked off, he hates the fact that God has given these people mercy, he hates the fact that God hasn't smited them yet, and he just hates it, and he's so ticked off, he's so angry, he says he wants to die, and then God gives him a plant, and what does it say? He's very happy about that plant. What Jonah's concerned about is his own comfort. What Jonah's concerned about is himself. But God wants to give him a little bit of perspective. In the very last few verses of this book, it says, but to the Lord, it says, but the Lord says, you have been concerned about this plant. And though you did not tend to it, you did not make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people? In other words, God's putting Jonah into perspective here and saying, Jonah, you care about this little plant, about your own little comfort. And if you care so much about this little plant, this little thing that I just created, do you not think that I care more about the 120,000 souls, the people in Nineveh? See, the fact is we care about what we create. But Jonah didn't even care about this plant. He didn't even create this plant. We care about what we create. You know, I think back to my childhood and, and doing work projects with my dad and being so proud about things, you know, that we would build together and just a lot of memories with my dad about just building things, working on things together. And when things were done, it was just that proud feeling because I created it, right, with my dad. It's a fun thing. It was awesome. 
And that's why I truly cared about some of the things that we have. Like we, I mean, we were because, you know, now we just built some new countertops and I love them. And part of the reason that I love them is because, you know, I built them with my dad. It's, it's a cool thing. And this is exactly the concept that God is trying to explain to Nineveh. He's saying, you didn't even create this plant, yet you care about it that much. I created these people. I gave these people life. I have been waiting so long for their repentance. I've been waiting so long for them to come into a relationship with me. And now that they have, you're ticked off. He's saying, get your priorities straight. People matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And so I want to ask you a question again. Is who do you need to extend mercy to? Who is it in your life that needs the love of Jesus? Because when we extend mercy, we extend the love of Jesus. You know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for three people in my life. I would not be... You know, up on stage being able to preach about Jesus if it wasn't for three people in my life. And the first person is Dwight Nelson. Dwight Nelson was my 11th grade English teacher and something about Dwight, he's just a passionate dude and, and I was making some bad choices and I, you know, between doing drugs, between cheating on tests and just living in anger and just living for myself, Dwight took the time to look me in the eyes multiple times. You know, he'd take me over during lunch and just say, Justin, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Things are rough right now, but God loves you. And I'm thinking, who is, why is he, why are you telling me this weird? And my, you know, my Bible teacher in, in 12th grade, his name was Jake Mobihill. And the way he taught me about Jesus, the way he would sit me down every once in a while and just, you know, walk me through some of the things in the Bible, it just grew my faith exponentially. And then there's my mom the last person. My mom has been praying for me since the day that I was born. And if there's anything that I know about my long 25 years here on the earth, <laughs> some of you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> but if there's anything that I know about my 25 years here on earth, is that if you've got a mama, or if you've got a grandmama who's praying for you, you better watch out. Because God's going to move in your life. I think that moms and grandmas have some sort of different connection with God that I don't think anybody else can have. But when grandmas pray, when moms pray, God moves. And man, that was huge in my life. I would not be here, for, I would not be here today if there were people in my life who acted like Jonah and ran from God. The only reason I'm as strong as I am right now in my faith is because I had people that were willing to run towards me instead of away from me. Willing to extend mercy even though I hurt them. And that's what we need to be as Christ followers. That's our call as people who love God. But I think that we can only take this so far by ourselves. You know, I can stand up here and I can, I can get passionate. That's what I love to do. I love to preach and I, you know, I get really into it. And I love to, to yell sometimes and I think that's okay. But man, we cannot give mercy. We cannot try to love people, extend mercy and do all this good stuff that God wants us to do on our own strength or on our own passion. We might be able to do it once or twice. We might be able to change a few relationships here or there in our lives. But we need the strength of Jesus. One of my favorite verses, but probably the most misquoted verse in the whole Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that verse is so misquoted because it doesn't mean that you can throw a 60-yard touchdown pass. It doesn't mean that you're going to get that promotion. I mean, God might bless you in that. That's a good thing. 
But Paul wrote that verse as he was sitting chained to a prison cell in Rome. He is freezing, he is starving, probably left naked, sitting in a cell saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And if we back up into the verse before that, Paul is talking about being content, that no matter what happens in life, no matter what is thrown at him, he can be content in the love of Jesus. He can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. If you're sitting here today saying, you know, I love the concept of mercy, but it's just not for me right now because I've been hurt. I've been hurt by an ex-spouse. I've been hurt by a family member. I've been hurt by a stepdad. I've been hurt by whoever it might be in your life that has caused real pain for you, real suffering for you for a long time. I'm telling you, God wants you to walk in freedom. We are not meant to live with anger and bitterness. We are meant to live in love and mercy and freedom. John calls us in John 10.10, or Jesus calls us in John 10.10. He says, I have come so that you may live life abundantly. Not as slaves, but I have come so that you may have joy and contentment and peace. And that's not possible if we don't have Jesus. If we want to take mercy seriously, we need a heart change. In fact, we need a heart transplant. We need to take ourselves out of the equation. We need to humbly come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I've got, this, I got a bad heart. I've got anger. I've got bitterness. I've got rage. But just take that from me. Jesus, give me your heart so that I may give these people mercy. Because on our own strength, with our own hearts, we cannot do it. We're going to fail. But by the strength of Jesus, you can give mercy to the person that has hurt you the most. And you can walk in freedom what we need to know is God loves us. God is passionate about his people. It doesn't matter how wicked we've been in the past. It doesn't matter how sinful we've been in the past. It doesn't matter what's happened to us. It doesn't matter what's happening to us. God is passionate about you. And God is passionate about the people that you need to extend mercy to. As followers of Jesus, we need to live out and believe Genesis 1:27, which says that all people are created in the image of God. We are his children. He is our God. And that goes for you, and that goes for the person that you hate right now. We're called to love. We're called to extend mercy. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your sacrifice and sending your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, taking your wrath for our sins so that we didn't have to face any punishment. Man, it's an amazing thing, God. Thank you so much, Lord. We bless you because of the mercy that you've given us. God, help us to walk forth in that mercy, to recognize that you have created all people. You have created all people in your image because you are so passionate about us. And Lord, we get so distracted by things in life. We get so distracted by things that don't matter. God, help us to focus on you and the great commandment to love you, to love our neighbor, and to make disciples. Lord, to extend mercy to people that even don't deserve it. But God, we did not deserve your mercy. We did not deserve the cross, but you gave it freely. And so, Father, we thank you. Help us to walk forward as different people, as changed people, those who follow you, those who love you, and those who trust you. That even when it's difficult, even if we've got people that you know, have hurt us so badly, God, we trust you, that you're going to provide love for us. You're going to provide mercy for us. And you're going to provide opportunity for us. God, we love you. Amen.